HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Juul, sous vide by Chef Steps. Juul takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, our weekly food news roundup. Fall is finally here, so it's time to get funky and devote an episode to some of our favorite spunky microbes. Fungi just provide this beautiful, whimsical lens on how the world works. They have so many roles. They're this strange and magical-seeming group of organisms, but they've got it all figured out. Should you eat the cheese rind? Can you eat the rind? These are like the biggest questions. We'll answer all of your questions about mysterious mushrooms and crazy curds. Plus, we'll give you a sneak listen to the newest season of Modernist Breadcrumbs. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Latino, chef at Bresca in uh, Washington, D.C. Awesome. Well, thanks, Ryan, so much for joining me on Feast Your Ears today. Of course, thank Great you. to get a chance to sit down on this rainy, rainy day this in September. Is- the episode's going to air in a couple of weeks, but it's pouring rain today. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you just won your first Michelin star. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank That's you. really a great achievement. I understand you're the youngest chef in Washington, D.C. to have a star. That's what, right now, I think yeah. so, yes. <laughs> Maybe someone who's 26 is going to get one next exactly. year. Exactly. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and, you know, before we started, uh, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about how, what that has sort of done for you as a chef and for your restaurant. So you said you got 4,000 reservations? Yeah, so far, thus far. Like, and how big been, is your restaurant? Uh, we're 60, 61 seats in the dining space and then 12 seats at the bar. Okay. Yeah, so we got the star on Thursday, so it's been... All right, so that's like a year's worth of reservations, <laughs> year's worth of covers, right? Like one couple of days. It was it's been wild. So, yeah. <laughs> so if I called up today and I wanted a reservation, like how far out would I have to wait? I mean, there's random like slot, like there's there's like those random slots that are available right, right now, right? Like five o'clock, five thirty, like yeah. we're like still booking and stuff. So and we're six days a week, so we really like. Even though we only have sixty two seats, it's it's surprising. Like Saturday, we did two hundred twelve covers. Oh wow! So sure. like, there's definitely like the capacity since we're open for six hours to really yep. like uh we we definitely do our best to, to try and accommodate times and stuff when we can so, so yeah. being in dc do you guys do you attract 
uh, you know, the people we're seeing in the news all the time, uh, uh, senators and congressmen. A little bit, like here and there, like not nothing too crazy, like uh, since we've opened. I mean, like um, just a few like politicians, kids or some of the congressmen and congresswomen, but like so far, not 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 as much as you would think. Sure. Right? Like that's definitely for sure. So. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh, if the president came in and wanted a table, <laughs> would you make overcooked steak with ketchup for him? Um, I mean, we're there. We're there for the guest experience, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's an interesting one, right? Yeah. There. <laughs> so, tell me a little bit about the the food at Bresca. I took a look at the menu, and you guys change it quite a bit. Right. You know, right now I see like we're still in like tomatoes, chanterelles, yeah. right. um, that kind of thing appearing on the menu. How do you create your dishes and how often do you change yeah so i mean since since opening we've we've changed a lot right we're kind of now getting into a rhythm of more like methodical changes rather than just so when we were opening it was like go for it go for it you know but now um i mean definitely with the season just trying to figure out what's going on like chanterelles for example we have like northern virginia i've foraged a lot of the chanterelles that we bring into the restaurant i definitely have to supplement though with yeah, great purveyors right but um yeah, so I mean, we just try and like always what's coming from like our good purveyors, the the proper sourcing and just really like, hey, we these are great this week. And then we kind of start creating and like and enter like the R&D phase, if you will, of just like, hey, this is awesome. So let's give it a whirl. Like We're going to work with um, a farmer with some really great vegetables from Dan Barber's like seed line. So like he's brought us some samples going into the fall right. of like this the original right butternut squash and those yeah. beets that eat like an apple it's insane wow. so like working seeing those things really inspire us for like change because you want to get those things on the menu because they're just so delicious like when they're great so yeah so then i mean and, and also i think i mean obviously i assume it keeps it interesting for you and your staff right, right. Yeah. in the kitchen you're not just pumping out the same crudo dish exactly for, like, years and years and years right um, yeah. And then it also makes it interesting for a diner. I mean, you know, for someone, if they can get a second reservation or a third reservation. No, right. Yeah, we definitely, like, we change, like, so often that, like, people, like, that's one thing that we've heard from, like, our repeat guests that they've that they've really enjoyed is, like, from, you could come there, like, in a month, three or four times, and, like, every time you can, you can dine differently. Right. Because we're always just trying to, like, get new, we don't change whole menus at once, but we're always throwing new dishes on here and there, one at a time, two at a time, so. Sure. And it keeps it, like you said, exciting for the staff nobody gets into that like lull and it's not mundane and yeah. like everyone's learning constantly so you mentioned foraging is that something you grew up doing um not not so much i mean i grew up in ohio we did hunt like some hunting a lot of fishing as a kid but like never so much like vegetable foraging i kind of like um more recently started to kind of like re read a lot about it see yeah. a lot on what you, social media, if you will. Sure. You know? I mean, it's a great resource. I've become obsessed with mushroom foraging in the last couple of years. Okay. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, the, the wealth of knowledge that's there, it's one thing I feel like when I first started being alone with a book mm -hmm. or a couple of books trying to cross-reference and be like, is this right. what I think it is? And like I'm now the really cool thing, sure. you can like hit somebody up on Instagram yeah. and they'll be like, that is that or that is not this. Yeah. Or, hey, or I can't what really tell is? what's exactly. the score print. Yeah. Right, exactly. So like there's people out there that are super friendly and willing to help you out. And like that's been cool. But like um, I haven't, I mean, I've found some things that I think I know what they are, but I haven't been willing to even like venture out and, and try it. Oh, but, sure. Like, chanterelles are just like 
Well, we're at, I mean, like, they're so abundant, like, when the, with all the rain this year, too. Right. Yeah, it's they're, been a crazy exactly. year, so, for sure. But, yeah, like, uh, we didn't really grow up with it much, but, like, I started to, like, gain an interest with yeah. just, like, it's good for you, too, like, right, right, to get out into the woods and kind of decompress and, like, not be a, uh, when you're out of the kitchen, just kind of decompress a little bit and be alone in the woods and, like, enjoy it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, so, like, what kind, what did you grow up eating? Like, what was, what was food like at home as We're a kid? We're from Ohio. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> It's like, uh, I mean, we grew up with like a pretty simple palate, right? My like father's a steak and potatoes kind of guy. Um, my like mother's like, nobody's a classic train chef that didn't like grow up at the feet of my grandma, like grandmother rolling pasta. But like, uh, we're part Polish, so we ate a lot of like pierogies and dumpling style like that. And then like part of my family's Italian. So I pretty much ate pasta with every meal that I ever <laughs> had. Like my dad used to call me noodle head when I was a kid because he'd want potatoes, I'd want pasta, buttered noodles all the time. So, but very simple palates, overcooked chicken all yeah. the time, you know, <laughs> like pork until it's done as can be, but like good meals around. The, I mean, just always around the table, yeah. right? Like always like uh, eat dinner together, all, like every single day. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, it was good. Like, I try to do that with my kids. I mean, it's really, yeah. it feels very important and like it's instilling this moment in the day exactly. as life gets more and more hectic that we can all come together. Right, like even with sports when you're a teenager and all that, you still made it home and you ate dinner and like as a family and then went on about whatever else was going on. Yeah. But yeah, so. Is there anything on your menu that you feel like was, you know, is like a throwback to um, there was. I used to do like a, a roasted steak because I was like, my dad wouldn't even come to the opening of our restaurant because he was like, <laughs> I am just not into like this style of dining at all. So I did uh, like a triple seared steak where we we do the technique like um, salt sear, soy sear, mirin sear, and then we did this like kombu paste that we grilled it. Just delicious crust, right? And like I think anybody loves that. And then we did like palms pave, like potato pave, fried in beef fat. In like in, a, in like a very outside the box wedge salad, and I was like, that's my way of getting my father to come in here and have dinner, right? And he came and ate it. Yeah, cool. he did. Yeah, he came from Ohio with my mother, and they they ate. But uh, I always like to do like those like like right now we have a grilled like remind me of like being outside like in the summertime we do a grilled. Um, steak with the triple sear technique but off the grill a marinated tomato salad some charred wild onions like it's just like the kind of stuff that if I was going to have a barbecue with like my friends outside or with my parents that like we would have available so when you're sweating back there on the line you could have like one moment of thinking oh I could be in the backyard yeah exactly (laughs) like this is like summer grilling right here (laughs) except it's 135 degrees in the kitchen (laughs) so where do you get your other inspirations for your dishes Um, I, I mean I'm huge like into books like I love to read like the only books I've ever really read in my life are cookbooks, honestly. Like, uh, I had the last, like, novel I read was probably seventh grade, I'm not right. going to lie. But, uh, yeah, like, um, I mean, a lot of cookbook inspiration. Like, following, like, the Scandinavian movement, I think, is, like, huge on social media and seeing what these chefs are doing and reading the books. Favikin, like, we're dry. We have, like, a 200-day-aged dairy cow in our cooler right now. Nice. That's solely from, like, trying to experiment yeah. with something like that. Um, yeah, did you age it yourself or did you have a supplier age it for no, you? No, we age it ourselves. yeah. It's, and it's, like, we've taken pieces off here and there to kind of sample it at different stages of the process. And it's, like, tough as nails meat at the beginning to, yeah. like, what it is now, right? Yeah. But um, really cool like eight-year-old Kyle that we've been doing but that's like kind of the things that like we draw inspiration right now like we're very like French 
like driven cooks like technique wise training but then like influence with like that new nordic movement of like the simplicity of some things and like letting ingredients shine through and like you can see that in our like sourcing right we're trying to source like really really well because it just helps you so much when it comes to actually putting food on the plate to have like the best whatever it is the best tomato the best squash however yeah now specifically i'm super interested in this 200 day aged dairy cow um because i i mean i i have i used to uh i used to own a butcher shop and so we did a lot of work with grass-fed farms and worked with older animals and I think it's a really great opportunity to play with flavor and texture mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And also to take an animal that has done a lot for humans already in right. its life. Yeah. And instead of just grinding it up and putting it into dog food or ground exactly. meat, you can do something more interesting with it, which right. is really cool. I think there's a great like respect sort of circle there. Um, but was that something like, do you have a final dish in mind or you were like, this is an opportunity. We'll figure it out. Yeah. That's exactly what we did. It was like, we had a purveyor that started like run, like selling the old dairy cows for like 50 cents a pound. So we were like, Hey, let's jump on it. Cause it's like feasible. And if we do screw up, like we can learn from it and not like, sure, it you know, like, the bank, like yeah. yeah, exactly. And like, we even like, we've taken the belly off of some of them now and try and like cure it the same way you would do like a pork belly cure or like a lardo cure and just trying like different techniques with it. But like, um, yeah, the idea was just like, let's see what it's like and then roll with it from there. And we've taken actually like a ton of fat off of the animal and like, instead of buying like one thing we do, it's like the zero food print thing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Instead of buying like oil and stuff that takes like production, we render all of our like animal fats out and then cook the animals back in that fat. So it saves us money and it, ultimately gives us better quality food at the yeah. end of the day so fortifies like beef on beef fat right yeah. so that's like something but the dairy cows provide a ton of fat but the flavor that comes off of an animal that's like that old and then aged for that long has been like awesome to to see the progression and then the texture progression too has just slowly gotten so much better from from start to now so that's really neat and, yeah. and then it also becomes something that you know not that there isn't something great about like the perfect tomato. There's right. lots of places you can get the perfect tomato. Right, right? Exactly, and I can get the perfect yeah. tomato at the farmer's market and eat it in my kitchen. Exactly, there's not. Many I people. can't get 200 day aged eight year old dairy cow. Exactly, it's like that's the thing. Like that, we want to do something. We love aging. Right, like we age our squad, we age our duck, we age, but like this animal, like we saw we could take for a really long time because it cuts her like so fatty and so big mm-hmm. and then just kind of like feel it out from there. And like, I think probably next month we're going to pull it down and we'll run like, Hey, we have 10 orders of strip loin tonight. We have 10 orders of ribeye tonight, like get it out there. And like, hopefully people come in and check it out because I don't see it much like here. Yeah. And like, uh, it's very underutilized because I think of the timing, right? Right. Like, of course. To, in order to tenderize the meat and stuff the aging process the timing that it takes but like as much as we can we want to do it like once we free the space back up we'll probably throw another one hanging out there exactly so we're excited about it just because it's like it was a learning process for us too and like we've yielded some really cool like take the flavor profiles like no beef I've had before yeah right? so yeah, that's, that's yeah, awesome it's, it's awesome and I mean yeah. and it's almost a, I mean, it's like a fermentation process mm-hmm. where you have microbes that are also doing things and enzymes in there that are exactly those yeah. changes right and it's just something people don't even play with or think about much right and you know to I mean in reality 150 years ago people might have been eating stuff that was kind of like that exactly right? you right. slaughter an animal there was no by the time you get to April Right. That's been hanging in your basement or in your root cellar exactly. and you're going to be eating it. I mean, even when you we were like younger, like when I was a kid, like people go deer hunting, right? And in the wintertime, I mean, you just, you could shoot a deer, skin it, hang it in the garage or the shed outside and like 
people would have it in there for you for for until right. like you could have deer in there forever. It's so yeah. damn cold outside. Yep. Yeah, like it's so cold outside. Like you just like it didn't matter, you know. Yeah. This program is brought to you by Jewel Sous Vide. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real-life Jewel user. I use Jewel to help me host the most delicious dinner parties. When you cook with Jewel, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The Paired app is super intuitive and has a great visual dentist guide. Jewel is awesome for prepping many perfect portions, making it easy to cook for a crowd, and it's hands-free so you can focus on entertaining while Jewel does the work. And pro tip, Jewel is also great for travel. I throw mine in my suitcase if I'm headed to a rental house with any kind of uncertain kitchen. From perfect steak to juicy, tender Thanksgiving turkey, Jewel makes the best food you've ever tasted. Just be sure to save some room for mini jars of pumpkin pie. Jewel, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code HRN, as in Heritage Radio Network, to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E, code HRN. Um, so I had asked uh, before the before this, uh, before we met, if you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be? And you said Thomas Keller, yeah. which is cool. Uh, a lot of people answer that question by saying someone historical, someone who's dead, someone who's like, a, you know, a fictional character. Right. But you could actually meet him and have dinner with him. Yeah. I'm curious to know, like, if you got to sit down and eat dinner with him, like, what would you want to talk to him about? Just like the progression of his career, right? Yeah. Like, how do you, like, maintain such like sustainable quality of like restaurants while also building a building like a, an empire like not em, quite an empire but building a such a decent sized portfolio of like sure. high quality like always like exacting and to the de- like such detailed work in all of his restaurants well, and you can't and, be in multiple places exactly. at once that to so me like, is the fascinating the, thing about that group? high level exactly that's yeah. my thing it's like how do you maintain like that standard and like that constant like grooming of just awesome incredible chefs like yeah. coming through the system front of the house program wine pro all of that it's been like years for him and just like um with humble beginnings right yeah like same story and that's like the first cookbook i ever bought was french laundry i think a lot of people have that same you know but like for me that was the first cookbook i got and that was like what inspired me even for to like go to cooking school and michelin star restaurants like what was it in ohio there's no such thing right so it's like yeah. what's a michelin star restaurant and you open this book and you're like well this is like a whole other level (laughs) from like from what I've grown up eating and I'm all going off to culinary school and like really like would be amazing I mean I saw him at the the show up in Chicago the restaurant show every Mm -hmm. year they have he was in the San Benet booth and like I fanboyed a little bit but didn't have the courage to go say hello Yeah. Well, I mean, you could always send him an invitation, right? You can yeah, say, right. tell him I got there's a seat for you at the bar. Yeah, exactly. Next right. time you're in DC, yeah, come by, right? that would be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> he might just do it. It'd be incredible. <laughs> um, is there? Do you think? I mean, your restaurant's relatively young, mm-hmm. right? Right. And you have a seasonal focus. Are there dishes that you already know, like you want to put back on the menu next year, or do you think it's going to constantly change? So, like we always say, like nothing's ever safe, right? Yeah. But there, like for for instance, like one thing that's kind of been a hit is our sea urchin linguine. 
like I love pasta. It's, it was my whole life eating pasta. So like I even though we're very like French focused, like I seem like always have like two like dough pasta course, like like a, a gnocchi, a nudie, something in a pasta. But like we've brought we've taken that off once, we brought it back, we're gonna take it off again. And like uh like it's just fun to like bring back and take it off. Like people like enjoy it. I get bored, right? I'm like I'm sure. really <laughs> when you sell like and the thing is like when saw a dish like that it's like put out like fifty or sixty on a Saturday night and then alone and then the rest of the week it's like oh man i don't want to look at this thing anymore right but it's delicious we love it it's just like so we go back and forth with it and some of my partners in business and other chefs are like this is suicide like don't take this thing off the menu people <laughs> love coming here for this thing and it's like ah oh, we'll bring it back you know we will but like we love changing right like we like like uh it's like that mindset of a chef or like the artistic standpoint of just like getting bored quickly and always yep. wanting to like evolve and do something different and so like but I don't mind revisiting things that like people love I wouldn't revisit it personally but if people love it and like want to like are asking for it that's sure. what we're here for like right. we're, You're, yeah. we're in the business Fair of experience. experiences right yeah. so exactly so it's like I want to make sure that people are like happy too and can come back and get it once in a while and really enjoy something that at the beginning was like our mark right that dish was like a staple for us when we first opened those doors. Yeah. Um, tell me about Zero Footprint and tell me about how you got involved with it. So, I mean, personally, like, got involved with it just doing some research. Like, when we first opened, I was very into the no plat. Like, we don't do plastic tasting spoons. We don't do plastic straws before. That was, like, a cool thing, right? But, like, um, I'm very, like... Our bar program, we make sure we cut all, like if the, we're actually in the process of trying to source like club soda and stuff that doesn't come with the plastic on right. top, but like we make sure we cut all of those things up into pieces so that way it can never end up like around an animal or yeah. something like that. And that's been a focus since the beginning. We bought metal tasting spoons. We have a bus tub every night that we keep pre rinse in. They all go in, there's like 800 of them. Right. They all go in there. We're definitely tasting, but yeah. they all go in there, they get washed at the end of the night, come back the next day, they're we're ready to go with them all over again. Um, but like rather than throwing 2,000 pieces of plastic in the trash yeah. every week, right? Um, but yeah, and then from there we were like, how can we all, like, how can we keep elaborating on this? And then the animals, like we started, we're like, hey, we have a lot of animals that like, we use a lot of bones for stock. What comes sure. out on stock, you have a lot of fat on top. Like um, if you can like render the fat off prior to stock and then you have nice fat to cook with, right? And then what does that do? That then decreases our oil usage, which then ultimately saves us money. Yeah. So like food cost is big, right? So we save food costs, we serve better product by cooking animals in their own animal fat, and we lower our impact on like the process of like making oils and harvesting oils yeah. or on like olives and all that so um as we started to refine that and what we were doing i started like researching a little bit about like who else is like really like doing this like in the, and then i st i came across zero carbon food print yeah. in like um not too much on the east coast right yeah. mostly on the west coast in scandinavia like yeah. and it's like big I, I, deemed, I thought it was going to be like this very expensive thing, right? At Noma, like these restaurants where dinner is yeah. definitely far more expensive than mine. So I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. But we reached out just like, hey, what is like all this about? I read their articles and how Noma, for instance, like changed their, their gas for their kitchen and cut their carbon footprint almost in half. And right. all of those articles. And I was like, wow, like it's incredible. So like in reality, it's more like you're you're – what you're paying, like what you're donating to the program to offset your carbon footprint, you're really like, is affected by your usage and your, or lack thereof, like, um, 
detail or like paying attention to what you are using, right? right. So we like we're already doing that. And then they do like a very in-depth assessment of what you're doing. They give you like a report card. They want to know like your gas. Uh, they want to read your meter for electricity. They want yeah, all of yeah, that. Yeah, you know? that's super cool. Yeah, they really get in there and like see what's going on in your space and like to call your trash company and like all of the above and the, where do you source your lamb from? How is that lamb raised on the pasture? Is it on a clock system? Is it like all of that? And like that really like determines the impact that those animals are having on the environment, which like I never even thought about it to that extent. Yeah. But this is what they're doing, right? And um, so for us, they got our assessment back and it was actually like, it was, it was decent, right? Like uh, it was actually just like a 10th under the average of a home cooked meal. Oh, wow. In a restaurant, right? Yeah. That's like already. So now sure. we've started to figure out like we're, we're a French kitchen like at the heart. So like we're miserable on butter consumption, which like sure. is insane. <laughs> so like, I mean, of all of our like carbon footprint, I think like 3% comes from butter alone. Wow. Yeah. So it's like we're, we're now like we, then we like nerded out together on the, on the phone and we're like, well, what about goat butter? And they're like, wow, we haven't looked at goat butter yet. And then we're like, oh, cool. And then like we had our like seafood assessment. And I'm like, well, how about we don't use like as many large companies as most places. We use like, we have one guy, Top Hat Jeff, fishmonger, owns a scallop boat, runs the docks, pay a little extra, gets first dibs at everything, drives it down himself, delivers himself. So like we don't, there's not a fleet of trucks, right? right? There's not like, right. so like all of those little things we're like looking at, they're looking into to see like, how does that affect your carbon like footprint on the, and like the more aware you are as an individual, as a restaurant, the lower your offset needs to be then, right? right. And like their goal isn't just to like have people paying them for this. Their goal is if everyone can get their offset down to zero, well then, amazing yeah. right like then, then their job is like then they've like accomplished as like as much as they could absolutely so like at the end of the day like that's like the goal of the whole thing and just like we're not pioneering anything sure. right but like if we can be a part of the change and like push and talk to people and like hey how do you like what do you do that you don't buy any searing oil Oh, actually, right. like, you're already, like, breaking down 15 strip loins this week. Well, what do you do with all those fat caps? Throw yeah. them in the garbage? Right. Throw them in the oven. Throw yeah. them in a pop and whatever. Yeah. Get them rendering, yeah. right? Like, melt that fat, you know? And yeah. then you don't have to buy the oil. So it's, like, for me, like, the epiphany, I guess, was, like, we're saving money. That's, like, the biggest thing. We're saving money. Yeah. We're serving better food. Yeah. And we're, like, affecting change on the planet, you know? Yeah. So that was super cool for us. And now we just keep trying to, like... Same thing, we would refine our food. We're trying to like refine our like techniques. Like we started, we learned from some of our service staff that like if you save your mussel shells for your herb garden, like it adds a ton of nutrients to the soil, like in the mussel shells and like all these minerals. And it's like, so we started like composting like here and there because we have an herb garden that wraps our roof that like um, we started composting. And sure, because they need like, nutrients. Exactly, right. Going. And it was yeah. like rather than throw it in the trash, yep. which then affects how often you get your trash picked up, of course. you could compost. And then yep. like all of those little things that like we can do, we're trying. We're yeah. trying to I do. wonder if someday that will trickle down into home kitchens. I mean, at home, we are very careful in the same way. Years ago at the Brooklyn Kitchen, we hosted Diana Kennedy for an event. Okay. And she was incredible. I mean, despite the fact that she's like in her 90s and lives alone in Mexico and she showed up in New York wearing black leather pants wow. and she comes in the door and the very first thing she did upon like being introduced to us is she went and she looked in the garbage can she oh, went wow. in the back in the kitchen in the like dish pit and she looked in the trash can yeah. and I was like what 
what are you what are you doing? And she was like, every time I come into a place, I look in the trash can because then I know whether or not you're like up to my standards because I want to see how much you're wasting. Right, exactly. And that's the thing. Like we, we, we peel carrots like for, for shade, for like service. Anything that comes off that we don't love goes into family meal salad. Like yeah. every little thing, like yeah. nothing makes its way, like as little as possible makes its yeah, way into course. the trash, you know? Like, I mean, at home we keep a, you know, we keep a, you know, two gallon Ziploc bag in the freezer and everything. If I peel a carrot, if I cut the tip off a carrot, if I peel that's onion, awesome. all awesome. of it, bones, bones from every meal. So, you know, sometimes yeah. we may, and we make stock when it gets full, it's right. time to make stock and That's we, awesome. you know, yeah. cook with the stock and drink stock or whatever. But, you know, a couple weeks ago I was like, oh, stock smells really good. What's in it? And I looked and there was like shrimp shells and there was a bone from a T-bone yeah, and there were nice. some lamb bones and there was a chicken bag. And it was like, you know, cause we just dumped my life and I dump it all in there. Yeah. That's incredible. Last year in New York city, they started doing, uh, composting. The, the sanitation department okay. does composting now. Nice. And the biggest thing I have noticed is the amount of weight in compost that is now basically I take it out in a separate bucket and dump it in a bin down on the street right. means that I don't have to take out my trash, like the regular trash. Yeah. Like I take it out, the regular trash I take out like once a week. Right. Because so much of the weight in there was coffee grounds and stuff exactly, like that yeah. making stock and you know that's incredible whatever yeah, like yeah, I mean yeah, it's 100. just like and and you know I mean luckily in New York they've made it very easy they right just, yeah. you know the san- sanitation department now drops off a brown can in front of your house yeah I don't think it's the whole city yet but in oh, okay doing that's it. incredible but it's really awesome and it yeah. just like it's so interesting to just on a personal level realize wow so much of the weight that was going into that which means weight in the truck trips more carbon footprint for exactly. diesel use like yeah. all of that stuff. and that's like one thing they they look into at zero carbon footprint is like how long like the travel is for your seafood and like all sure. of that stuff so it's a, it's a, it's incredible to see like an in-depth like analysis of your actual like restaurant like yeah. break it down but that's that's incredible to do at home too like that's it's awesome so i was reading your bio mm-hmm. uh on the Bresca page and pro baseball were you like nah I mean yeah right pipe dream right now we tried I mean like we I was like a like a solid baseball player in high school okay um yeah like um paid juco um some like Connie Mac elite travel in Ohio and stuff but like very realistic parents fathers like to this 73 years old just recently so older generation of like realist and like hey Let's be real with ourselves. Is baseball like a future? And it was like, probably not, right? Like, what are the chances, right? So it's like, what are you going to do? I had no idea. I literally had no idea. My parents were pushing me into like trade. My whole family's uh, laborers. We have my Rust Belt, right? Steel Mill, Cleveland area. Like my grandfather, my cousins, my brothers currently. Like Steel Mill down there was LTV Steel back in the day, right? Everything. Um, And slowly, like, that was never for me, though. I couldn't like... I'm not into, I don't like to be like told like, this is what you're going to do all day. Right. Right. And, uh, so for me, it was like, I'm not going to do like a trade where I'm just like, Hey, every day you're going to go like do this same task and then go home at four o'clock. It just wasn't a good fit for me. And my parents realized that like, but they were like, Hey buddy, like you need to really figure this shit out. (laughs) Like you're 18 years old now. You're like in your first year of college. Like, what are you going to do? And I had no idea, but like, Ever since I was in my early, like, 12, 13, my parents, like, my mother worked, right? So, and my mother then came home every night, made dinner, and we ate together. But, like, sometimes I would, like, try and relieve her, relieve her from that. And uh, 
I would used to watch like eight to nine o'clock. This is, could be embarrassing, but like Emerald every night, and he would just do his thing, right? And then like I would see that, and as a kid, like I'm like, hey, like this could be better than I don't know. What are we gonna have tonight, right? Like yeah. you know, like maybe like I'll try and cook, and then my mother started letting me like prepare some things, get groceries from the grocery store, and like I would something he would make if, I, if it was simple enough. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I would try and like remake things, and then I started like making a few dinners here and there, you know, and helping my mother out as long as my chores I would cook a dinner like twice a week or once a week and um, from there like it evolved and my, my, it was actually my mother was like you know you really love to cook like we ever think about it as a career and I honestly didn't you know and right. I mean a teenager right and yeah. it was like actually and I looked into it and culinary school like was looking around I mean saw how expensive it was right but <clears throat> decided like you know what like I actually do really enjoy this and like did a lot of research and like didn't know what I was getting into for sure like as far as like the hours and the commitment and all that but fell in love with it and now like doesn't even matter <clears throat> we, right. we opened this restaurant we did one, <laughs> 120 hour weeks like yep. it didn't matter because it was like we finally like for me it was like we made it like we didn't make it at all but like you're finally yeah. like on your own like do your thing and like yeah. it didn't care the time commitment doesn't matter really yeah you know so I want to go back to the Michelin star mm -hmm. um do you do you have any worries that it's going to be like too much? Like it's gonna, that like you know. So in five days you got four thousand reservations. Like play that out for another month. You have like yeah, fifteen or twenty thousand reservations. I don't know what's gonna like <laughs> you know like what it's like gonna gonna do. I mean the pressure is there, right? Sure. Like I think it from the moment we like enter this project a goal of mine has always been to like obtain a Michelin star of course one day. Yeah. I used to go stage, stage WD50 back in the day when with Wiley and like come to the city worked at Caviar Roos like always wanted it like never knew if I would get it this fast right like yeah. in the first year but we definitely committed the time to trying to do so but you just never know new restaurant you never know if you're on all the time staffing changes all of the above that happened but um yeah I mean I forgot what we were talking about. Oh, I, I would... Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll prep you again for it. Um, so now that you have your Michelin star, do you ever think you may want uh, to give it back? No. There's a restaurant in Osaka, Japan, a sushi chef who I know, who gave back his Michelin star right. because it was just too much, and he felt like it was too hard for people to get a seat. Okay. And so going back to what we were talking about earlier, where you're talking about it, you know, it's all for the consumer. It's for the customer, right. it's that customer experience. And he just felt like having a Michelin star meant too many people were trying to come to his restaurant. Right. And he was turning to more people away than he could serve. I got you. Yeah. Luckily, we're, we're not big, but we're okay. big. We are, we are like a, a suitable size that we can. Like, yeah. He had 12 handle. seats. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. We have 12 at our bar plus 61 others, but like we're able to accommodate a large number, a decent number of guests like yeah. every night. So like that house, I, I mean, something I've wanted so long, I don't know if I'll ever want it. I hope, I <laughs> hope it never gets taken away. Right, nor right. do I want to get it back. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like, I think the pressure is definitely there, right? Like, and you have that, like, peer set that also, like, want to see you kind of, like, fall sure. a little bit. And you're, like, the guests that, like, want to come in and, like, like interact and see, like, is this really, like, oh, this glass is crooked. Is that Michigan Right, right. Not? The, right, the know, stakes like, are, like, yeah, so exactly. high once like, you have But that. I definitely yeah. want, like, the opportunity to prove to people, though, yep. that, like, we, like, hopefully in their eyes deserve... The, like the Michelin star and like that's what we do day in and day out like and I, and I say like we don't just in like the food bit we're in the like 
business of experiences and like yeah. just getting like people the best experiences from both angles the service program the food program the wine program like everything we do we try and do it like to our best and like the team behind everything that we have right now is so great in my opinion and like the the team we're developing and the like the guys who have been with me for years in the kitchen slowly progressing up into the roles they're in now over the years and now like we have such a solid kitchen crew and then bringing on some of the front of the house management team that we've just brought on i feel like we're at the best that we've ever been since opening and we just earned the star which is where you want to be right exactly so now it's like we can continue to push and push and like with the star does like so far thus far has like allotted us more guests and then which then a lot more is more financial freedom to like bring on more staff and really like keep pushing a better experience not just like people like what do you do now like just kind of like maintain it and i'm like the last thing i want to think about is just maintaining <laughs> right. it i want to keep like trying to crush it you know and yeah. the more staff we can have the more like involved we can be in all the programs in the restaurant and really just like push 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 you know and then hopefully maybe i mean style of dining isn't so conducive for more than one michelin star like it's right. it's tough but like the like you never know like people are like what else do you want to do it's like well maybe you can even start somewhere else like you open right. another space and another star or two stars like who knows you know right. what i mean like i mean the the opportunities are endless and i feel like at this stage it'll open up hopefully some really great doors and like like give me the opportunity to like meet some great people like and have conversations like this you yeah. know and like i think that that's like the, the start like the ground is like being laid now so for the other for everything else awesome well yeah. i you know uh i thank you so much for sitting down to spend some time talking with me today of do you course. guys have any events coming up or any special menus or anything like that people should be aware of not that anyone can get a reservation at this point hey yeah we're gonna <laughs> no we're gonna we're gonna do some like ticketed events where we kind of do like we're thinking about doing a wild game dinner coming up in october not 100 percent on the date yet but probably mid to late october wild games or some cool like wild scottish game local stuff from virginia um, and just kind of like cook a very like fall, like really in like very like crisp hell. air. You should turn the air conditioning on in the restaurant right, like so it's like 52 Yeah, degrees. right. Yeah, like put parkas <laughs> on everybody. But yeah, we're going to do that for like our fall themed dinner because we've done like dinners over the course of the year, like spring, summer. So we're going to continue with that and kind of like hone them in a little bit more and give them like a tighter theme than just fall. Right. But like go with that and uh yeah, it's exciting. We're going to be doing all of our... I mean, if this weather gets away from these 80, 90 degrees of humidity, <laughs> we'll roll into some fall changes that we've been working on. We've been making a lot of like umimbashis and misos and some koji grains and stuff like that that we want to really introduce. For me, that's more like fall dining. Like when you get like faro koji on a piece of meat, that nutty aroma just speaks to like the fall and that like time of the year, it's a little brisk and you can just like get that. Like it just feels good to eat, you know? So yeah. we'll roll into some of those things and like... Like, um, right now we're just trying to can up and preserve up and get ready for in DC in the winter and nobody's growing anything. Right. So, yeah, root vegetables <laughs> and cabbage, you know, so, but no, yeah, the, that's it for now. Awesome. Well, I look forward to, uh, I look forward to making it to DC. Please uh, do, yeah. And would love to come and maybe I can sneak in like at the Oh, we got the bar. you. I know a guy. I know a guy. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank awesome. you so much, man. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to rate and review the show, and please reach out if you have any questions. You can find me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram, at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week.
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.